This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Welcome to the show, BB. BB yep. Sanders, all the way from Poland. This is the first international podcast I think I've done. <laughs> well, I, I'm certainly happy to be the first at, at anything. So <laughs> <if>, uh, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. If I'm your first international podcast, and I'll, I'll take it with a badge of honor. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, we already kind of went through this, but just to fill everybody in, so they can picture yep. in their head. I, I didn't, I didn't know what I was up against, so I, I uh, contacted you, or I think I made a post. I don't remember how it happened. Anyways, but I connected on LinkedIn, yeah. talking about um, game camera use, and a lot of Western yep. states now are kind of changing their regulations, adapting to technologies. They're all kind of a little bit different, and it seems like people right. have knee-jerk reactions to that. And I just kind of – I don't really have a horse in the race. I haven't hunted out west, any of that. But um, right. the point I was going to make is, like, when you when we went to go set this up, and you're like, well, I'm in Poland. I was like, oh, well, that's <laughs> yeah. okay. I wasn't sure if I was going to be talking to somebody with an accent, which would have been cool kind of, by the way. Right, I'm, right, right. No right. offense, I'm a little disappointed. Um, but, oh, sorry. No, just you got you got you got an Arkansan accent in Poland. <laughs> yeah. so, a little bait and switch for you. Yeah, and then so this morning I fired up. Uh, we're doing this via Streamyard, and uh, the gentleman behind the cameras we're in camo, U.S. Army tag on a shirt. I'm like, oh, this is also not what I was uh, <laughs> expecting. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself officially? And right, so. Um, um, Brandon Sanders. I'm from uh, Southwest Arkansas, uh, right on the Texas Louisiana border. 
I joined the Army whenever I was like 2000, 2005, I was 18. Uh, years later, I, I became a uh, chaplain in the uh, Washington National Guard specifically. And um, we're, you know, part of uh, the NATO's Enhanced Forward Presence uh, missions, which is basically a uh, kind of a deterrent force all up and down the uh, Baltic states and in uh, Western Poland or Eastern Poland uh, to dissuade anyone from deciding to uh, come across the border and, and uh, threaten NATO. And so I'm the uh, the battle group chaplain for uh, for these guys here. And uh, I've you know, like as far as hunting and fishing goes, I'd like I at six months old, I was in a deer stand. Uh, you know, uh, running around. And so, like, it's always been a big part of uh, just, like, who I am, my identity. Uh, at this point in my life, I've uh, hunted and fished all over the world. And um, to, to include, a, you know, carp in, in Iraq and a red stag in Poland. And, uh, you know, the past four or five years, I've been living in Washington and, and uh, really have used uh, trail cams a lot in terms of scouting because it's a, it's a very uh, different type of hunting than uh, than even some western states but it's way different than arkansas because you know you grow up hunting in arkansas everything is flat and you know it's all white-tailed deer they're easily patterned like you can kind of start to, to start to figure out you know kind of where they're going to be and what, what time they're going to be where and, and start to hone in on there, that way but with when you throw mountains into it things get a lot trickier because uh, now you have this elevation factor and then the weather will change a lot and so that will push you know deer up and down a mountain and you have multiple species of deer and so it, it made life a little bit more complicated and so i never really messed around with trail cams before but i started using them extensively uh in in washington just for my own you know kind of refinement trying to figure out how, how things are going and uh came to absolutely fall in love using them uh because not just for the deer but you know like you would catch bear elk bobcats uh oh, oh, uh links or not links uh like mink and stuff like that on all kinds of just random stuff that you never really thought that you were going to catch that um you'd always see tracks for you knew they were there but uh, for one reason or another, you always missed them. And all of a sudden you have these, this photographic evidence that, hey, look, they're occupying the same space uh, as me. And that, that, those, checking those cameras are always extremely rewarding uh, for that. And, you know, of course, you're always looking for, like, the next big buck or whatever. But, uh, you know, you were always super happy. When I, I come in there, I see I have 400, 400 pictures on a camera that sat there for two or three weeks. It's like it's a, it's like Christmas. I, get, I honestly get more excited about that than just about anything. So <laughs> it's it's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, it's similar. I mean, I – I've used trail cameras, but I don't use them a lot. You know, I own like, I don't know, two or three and pretty much just put them out on my own property. Just had like seven acres, you know, a little lot. And it's just nice to know what's out there and yeah, and when. But like I said, you see all sorts of stuff. And I've seen Fisher on, you know, I've got, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. holy crap. I didn't even know those were down the farm in, in Minnesota, but not in northern Minnesota. So it wasn't really, you know, those, when I saw right. that, I was pretty surprised. Pleasant surprise, but it, it's just, and I've, I've done some trapping from time to time and, and I think camera trap is like what the researchers always call trail cameras. Mm-hmm. And I like that because it, that is what it is. I get the same kind of anticipation when I go up to a trap and I see that it's been set. It's like, Ooh, what do I got? You know, so like you pull yeah, that right. card and you throw it in the computer and you're like, all right, let's see, uh, let's see what I got. Oh, 90 pictures of the same doe and fawn. Perfect. <laughs> uh, right, right. Yeah. That does get kind of uh, frustrating when it's the same same deer that's just like coming and going and coming and going and coming and going you're like dude like you know find someplace else to hang out <laughs> or, right I have, here. or i have to cut that branch off because i have 100 photos of the same branch that obviously was blowing yep. in the wind <laughs> <laughs> yep yep, yep. I've had, I, there's a i have a camera you can get on my uh instagram and go look at it and uh 
there's a, a bear that's like that's marking a tree. It's this little bitty tree, and he's, it's it's pushed it over, and uh, we started calling that spot Teabag Tree uh, for that. <laughs> and like right there at Teabag, there was a branch that, would, that was doing the exact thing every time that the wind blew. That branch would move and it would trip the camera. So like, we don't have to have like 900 pictures, but like you know, like 500 of them is just one branch just moving back and forth. That's that's the best name for a tree ever. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> that poor tree, man. Like the that bear marked it like every day. There was a bobcat that came by and pissed on it. There was uh, and, like it's literally like everything that was like the 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 kind of like the signpost to let let everyone know that you were around. And it's like I would not want to be that tree if I was a tree. <laughs> wow. Well, I imagine the hunting yeah. in Arkansas is substantially different from Washington. Yes, uh, it's. So my first two years in in, um, in Washington was pretty rough because it's not just the fact that the uh, the hunting itself is different, which it is, but also the the regulatory model is wildly different. So like with you know Arkansas, you'd have zones like you know like we were always like zone one A. It's like bottom left hand corner and it's huge. It's like three quarters of the state, and um, they're like here's your season dates or long seasons. Um, here's the you know, kind of general rule. There's, you know, three point rule. And, and that was about it. I mean, there wasn't really that much to it, but you get up to Washington, the state itself is divided in half. So if you're on one side of, uh, of the Cascade mountains, you know, you have this set of rules. If you're on that side of the Cascade mountains, you have this set of rules, these different seasons. And you, you even draw your tags. You're all on the east side or the west side. And, um, whereas like, you know, Washington has, or, or Arkansas has like a, a limit of like six deer right now. Um, and I had grown, grown up with like at least three. So like you always got multiple deer a year, you know, Washington, you can only get one. Uh, if you get, if you're lucky enough to either draw a tag or get like a multi-season, uh, uh, tag that you can, uh, or additional deer tag, they'll sell sometimes, uh, you can get two. And that's like, if you're lucky. So it's just a completely different, like legal world in and of itself. And so, you know, the Western, you know, game management unit system. Uh, so like you, trying to stay inside of that GMU and know exactly that, you know, you're legal, you know, in this area can be somewhat of a challenge sometimes. So like, thank God for things like Onyx or, or, uh, you know, one of those like mapping softwares to let you know where you're at, because if you didn't, you'd just be like wandering around and you could easily kind of get out of the, uh, out of the, the right area that you're supposed to be in. Whereas like, you know, in, in Arkansas, it's just like, look, you know, if you wander out of this zone, man, you've like, you've gone for quite a journey. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, it's just yeah, it's it's a lot different. And then like the hunting itself, like I said earlier, the, the elevation just played such a huge factor into it that uh, I never once thought uh, to really kind of take into account that I would find like all kinds of deer sign. I have deer on camera and stuff, and I'd be like, okay, this is where I'm gonna be. And you go down, go there, and then just like there's nothing here, and and you realize that the weather had changed enough to to warm it up, you know, further up in elevation, and then they they go up to that. And um, it took me a while to kind of to, to key in on that's what was happening. I had to do some reading and stuff. And it just like there's one day like, a light bulb came out. I was like, oh, like they're, they're it's it all is tied to elevation. I was like, how stupid. Like, I just, but it never it just sure. wasn't in my mental model right. to, to think about that way. Because I'd always, you know, hunted fish in like, you know, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Arkansas. There's just no mountains there. And uh, all of a sudden now, like, here's a mountain range. You're like, oh, oh, that's what's happening. So uh, that, that, was, that was very much a a growth step for me that also to think that like a lot of my base assumptions are not, you know, were not correct. And I had to go kind of go, go back and retool. And then that's when I started actually finding deer. 
Um, so there you go. And the Wachita Mountains are slightly different than the Cascades, I would assume. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Like so, like yeah, the, yeah. The Wachitas are like you know they're more like hills compared to like you know the Cascades and stuff. I mean, even even some of the, the most aggressive mountains that you're going to have down there, those deer will still act like it's like a cord build or something. They like, yeah, they'll go up it, but not they're not wanting to go up. They're wanting to stay in, in the bottoms as much as they possibly can. Uh, whereas like, you know, mule deer, blacktail, like they'll go to the very, they, they, I've got some on camera, like, you know, like you know, three foot snow. That's just like, what are they doing there? There's just like no reason for them to be there, but they're just like, yeah, this is where we want to be. So that's um, kind of, it's an interesting, uh, you know, paradigm shift between the two. That's for sure. Did you hunt in the watchtows at all? Or are you? Yeah, um, I have. So like uh, most of my, like, most of my hunting experience in Arkansas is going to be in like the Southern part, like down in uh, like, uh, Miller County, Lafayette County, Columbia County, like right, basically kind of like I always called it Northern Louisiana because it was more Louisiana esque than it was sure. Arkansas. But um, as uh, as I got older and I started to want a little bit more of a challenge, I started bow hunting in uh, the kind of like the the southern part of, of the Washtenaw Mountains uh, around like the Little Missouri River and stuff, and uh, came to really uh, really really enjoy that kind of like backcountry uh, approach to things, not stand hunting and stuff. It's a lot more challenging, uh, but it was also a lot more rewarding. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was towards the end of, of kind of like my teenage years. Uh, and then like I joined the army and then after that, it was like a, a whole other experience. I was, ended up, uh, <laughs> didn't do much hunting, but did a lot of fishing up in like Northern New York and then on and on and on. <laughs> so, nice. That, you know, that sounds just, good too. But those, yeah. Um, you, so you have a, you're a little familiar with like thermals and how they react to topography mm -hmm. by hunting in the watchtowers, but it's, it's probably much more extreme obviously in the cascades yeah um so to try to get after that i um uh, i started reading these books i found like uh, books on like forestry and like so these these foresters would go in and they would talk about like hey look you need to like whenever you're cutting out um you know like timber you need to leave certain like you know like cover for elk and, like, and they would start to break down like like this is how elk use different cover during different times of the year and this is like kind of the moment where i realized like oh like the you know like this this change in elevation is really kind of key and they would talk about like you know this is what thermal cover is this is how they use it and uh you know this is what this type of cover is they like to calve in this type of cover and, and, and they would were systematically leaving pockets of that as they go at different elevations uh to, to try to help facilitate that and all of a sudden i was just like oh my gosh like yeah you know, like the loggers have figured this stuff out like i haven't like so uh so that kind of led me into this like long uh you know like quest to really understand it and so i started uh you know reading up a lot of like mike eastman stuff and, and trying to understand like you know this is you know like trying to figure out where, where like the elk were going where the mule deer were going and like why they were using the, the way uh, they were using different like terrain and different types of cover uh for different types of purposes at different types uh, or different points of, uh, in the year and uh, i'm still learning a lot uh, to, to be quite honest with you but I've, i think i've definitely kind of like turned the corner i'm not, not as ignorant as i was so like this next season when we get back i'm actually i'm very excited to, to, to get back and do it and so yeah uh, I, don't have, I don't have any experience um hunting out west i mean i've been out west a few times just you know on mm -hmm. trips or whatever um so but i i like a bit of a, a voyeur when it comes to that because I, i'm i'm very interested in it and i want to do it so I, I read a lot about it so i mean i'm uh mm -hmm. real world application would be extremely ignorant yeah. of it but i think i have enough at least the terminology that i can hold a conversation about it like yeah, i understand right. it like with you know thermals and and the stuff like that like i want to I, I need to 
I always just have so many irons yeah. in the fire, but I really need to just pencil in a hunt out there and, and go and just yeah, do it just and experience and it. Yeah. I think it would be amazing. Yeah. It's a, it, yeah, it's a different, um, it's a different experience. I'll tell you, like, uh, you make your money on doing two things. One is uh, spending a just a ton of time uh, going over maps. Like, uh, my, you know, like, there, there's people that will, like, peruse, like, Facebook or Instagram or whatever at work. If I'm sitting here idle and I don't have anything to do, Onyx is up. And I'm, like, scouting and dropping pins. I'm like, oh, this looks like a good spot. Oh, yeah, this is this will work. You know, and, and trying to figure out, okay, like, you know, if I was a mule deer, where would I be sitting, you know, given a certain situation? So once you kind of have, like, a, you have, like, kind of this repository of, like, little spots. It's kind of like bass fishing. I really want to think about it. It's like, I know, like, these are the spots that they're going to want to be at, given a certain set of conditions. And you kind of have, like, a library of that in your in your head. Then you can kind of adjust on that, that day whenever you actually show up there. The second big thing that I've learned is, like, get high, stay high. Like, if you can get as high up as you possibly can, like, you're king of the mountain. And then you can kind of come down on things. But if you're, like, low – those jokers can climb way faster than you can and you can't catch up. So like, if you get, get up on top of them, especially like I'll put in and I'll go in at two or three o'clock in the morning and, and go for miles and be on top of that ridge or as the sun starts to come up and then like start glassing right then and there, they're usually still bedded down waiting for, for it to get warm up for them to move. And then you got the drop on them and you can come down on top that way. Now the fishing analogy is accurate because I have uh, I do tournament ice fishing here in Minnesota and, and we're right in the middle of our season. We've got an event coming up Sunday. So kind of the same thing. I get some downtime, that lake map's open and I'm, you know, mm-hmm. it seems to be a pretty basic, map but the more you the more and more you look at it you find different things and especially once you spend some time out there like we did some pre-fishing and scouting this past weekend and once you really start dialing in what you're looking at it's like you can filter out all of you know what you don't need to see and hone in on what you do need to see and then the map just takes on a whole different life like you view it differently and i imagine i mean it's got to be that to the next level the next 10 levels right. when we're, we're talking about topographical maps and onyx and the mountains is such a vast, vast area. Right. Yeah. No, they, uh, there was a, a, a statistic I remember stuck with me. I think I want to say this is a Doug Hannon thing, uh, from back in like the early nineties, late eighties. But like, he would say that like 90% of all water is dead and 10% of the water actually holds fish. And like that, like, uh, that really kind of stuck with me. And then you start to look at these maps and stuff. You're like, Oh yeah, like he's, he's right. There's only about 10% of this that's actually going to have anything in there. Bizarre, barring some kind of bizarre situation. And I would say that like, the it's probably not as as severe when it comes to hunting because uh, they'll they'll transition like big open flats and stuff like that or, or get, be out there grazing but for the most part they want to they want like a handful of things and like if you can figure out on that map where those handful of things are and then figure out how to access it and then figure out like how to exploit the terrain around it so that way you can get on top of them then you're winning right then and there. And it's there's there's a reason why you, you'll watch some of these shows and stuff. These guys are like, oh, I've never been here before, but this is where they'll be. And then bam, sure enough, they're there because they figured that out and they know how to, how to read that map. Um, and uh, the good part about like that with like you know the e-scouting tools that you have now, like you can hunt almost every day. He's ever you're just not out in the woods. You're sitting there looking at a computer screen, and being like, oh yeah, this is where I'm going to go. And so like if you look at my Onyx, it's like a, a just menagerie of like blue and red and yellow of all these random spots and stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah, this would be a good spot. So next time I, uh, you know, I end up uh, in this area, I'm like, I'm gonna go check that out. Um, whenever we get back from Poland, we're, we're driving across the, uh, the U S and like, uh, 
my wife probably doesn't know this yet, but we're actually going to be like uh, doing some uh, truck scouting from some of these spots that I've looked at over the past year. Nice. So, fun. How's the red stag yeah. hunting over there? They have like, I mean, they're just wild running through the, the yeah. hills, I assume. Oh, yeah. Did you see that that video of the guy that got charged by one? It kind of went viral about two or three weeks ago. I don't think I saw that one, no. You, pro- you, prob- you probably did. You probably didn't know that it was a red stag. That's but there possible. was a video where it's got, yeah, he's watching a, he's got like a, a GoPro, like a Chester GoPro. And you can see like his rifle barrel and then he like turns and then like all of a sudden this, this antlered deer like comes like down with his head charging and just drills him. And then uh, he just keep, keeps on going. If you, uh, you haven't seen it, you should go try to find it because that's red stag hunting to a T. They're the most aggressive, like, unglet I've ever seen in my entire life. Really? Um, like, I, oh, yeah, they're, like, if you get a chance to do it, like, uh, you know, the, the model of conservation over here is kind of weird and wonky. You, need, you have to have a guide, and it's a little bit they, – they hunt way different um, over here. But the uh, – like, the, the animal itself is, like, something that's just kind of, like, out of this world – They'll get up and like uh, they'll move a lot at night and be calling and, they, and they, their call is like a roar. But they're about the size of like a really big mule deer with kind of like an elk-like rack. It's not as big; it's a little bit smaller. But they are super, super aggressive. So in October, we went. Um, there's three of us that went. Um, we uh, one of the guys actually shot one while he was fighting, and so uh, and and like he had shot and missed one the day before who was also fighting. And then when I shot mine. He was uh, like calling at another red stag. There was a bunch of hinds that were around us, and um, we had bumped them. They ran off to, uh, to our, our north side, and like uh, we had, we kept hearing this other one call, call, call. And so we, we, we got up to this, this break, and he's sitting there just screaming at this other one and uh, just like begging them for a fight. And, and he never got the chance to, to finish that one. So, so I suppose uh, they must but, respond to calls pretty well. Yes. Uh, so, like, uh, the way the, the guides would basically do it is, like, they wouldn't even try to sneak around. They'd just, like, walk out and listen to like, brrr, like, and just hit the call, and, and they'd do it for, about like, 10 minutes, and if like, nothing yelled back at them. They're like, okay, let's go to the next spot and hop back in the car and just go, and they would just keep doing that until you got somebody to talk back to you. And then at that point, more like turkey, try, try to, more like just, turkey hunting. <laughs> yeah, it's actually very similar in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, they would sit there and just call, 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 and uh, those, uh, those stags, once they feel challenged, they're, it's not like, like, you know, like elk, deer, like they, they generally don't necessarily like want to be around another another buck or any other competitive male. They'll try to like skirt around it. And if, if push comes to sub, they'll fight. But these guys are like, you call and they're just like, where's he at? And like, and they're coming in. And so they'll, they, they, they want to uh, engage. And so like when I shot mine, he had two, uh, two sets of uh, brow times. The inner one or the outer one on both of uh, on both sides was broke off. He had like scars up and down his neck for where he had been fighting his uh, back, like, it looked like somebody had, like, he turned to run, and somebody just drilled him from the back, because, like, he had, like, a, a strip of hair that's about an inch wide that goes up the middle of his back that was looked like you had shaved it, where something had, like, raked him, and um, I've got his hide now, it's on his way, on the way back to the U.S., but uh, and it, it was, it, it was something else, just to watch those guys fight, and then see the product of it afterwards, and, like, we, like, uh, the other guy, like, uh, one of my buddies that, that killed one, he had like you know puncture wounds where other antlers had punctured him and stuff, and they're just yeah, you know, I mean they were just going at it, man. They they like to fight a lot. They're the super hind, aggressive. Do the hinds make um, calls too, like Kyle? I so yeah, I assume that they do, but like we didn't engage with them at all. And for the most part, the hinds are extremely skittish. Like they the the stags will actually stand you know kind of stand there and somewhat challenge you and not really like want to buck and run. 
But like uh, the Hines, like the moment something goes sideways, they they hit the, hit the woods and they're gone. So, are there any other predators know. over there? I mean, uh, forgive my ignorance for yeah. the pole and wildlife, but I assume there's bears oh, yeah. and is there wolves? Yeah, yeah. Don't don't feel bad. I didn't know a thing about Poland when we showed up. I knew there was fallow deer. I knew there were stags, and that's about it. But yeah, so they it's an interesting uh, uh, kind of world. They have wolves, um, and but they're they're kind of similar to the U.S. They're not everywhere yet. But the, you have the same kind of animal rights groups that, that are uh, that are fighting to try to like make sure that none of the wolves ever get killed whatsoever. And um, the conservation model they have over here, they look at they don't look at hunting as uh, there's no like kind of a heritage argument or uh, or thought process to it whatsoever. It's all like this very methodical look. We need to um, you know control these animals, so this is how, how we're going to go about doing it. And um, so they issue a bunch of tags. Uh, to a very a very select group of designated hunters, and uh, and so those those guys uh, go just basically go out and just you know they're like bloodlust they just kill everything they how many tags they've got, and so um, but the one thing that they can't shoot is uh, are are the wolves, and so the thought process is is that like what the they're kind of aiming to do is eventually eliminate hunting altogether and just let the wolves take care of it. The funny part is, is that that's going to backfire because those wolves will eventually like, you know, take care of it. And then they'll start taking care of other things as well. Uh, but they, they also have bears out here. Um, they're not as common. So I've seen just about everything Poland has to offer at this point, but I have not seen the bear. I've seen moose, seen uh, the, it's hogs, but they, they'll call them wild boars, tons of foxes. Uh, just, you know, you name it, it's out there, but I, I've yet to see a bear. And I haven't seen a whole lot of bear tracks, but I do know that they they exist. But they're probably not in the numbers that um, that you would see like out in like uh, you know Idaho, Montana, or something like that. Sure. Uh, and fallow deer are they native to Poland? Yeah, they okay. are. Yeah. Um, we uh, so while I was uh, hunting the uh, or while I was doing our reindeer hunt, we actually they 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 call deer stands high seats. So we were up. We actually parked it on a high seat for a while because nothing was moving, and so we were just like, okay, well. Let's. They had a bait pile set up. Let's just sit here and wait and see if uh, if something comes out. Well, we sat there and a, a fallow deer doe, or I guess I don't know if they call them does or hinds or what, but uh, a doe camp comes out with a fawn, and we sat there and watched them uh, eat for a pretty good while. But yeah, they have a season here that they rut a lot later, uh, and so we couldn't uh, we couldn't draw a tag for that. We couldn't buy a tag uh, for them if we could have. I would have loved to actually uh, shoot. There's a chance that we might come back here in a few years, and that that'll be like my next kind of go-to is try to get a fallow deer out here, specifically for like they, they have kind of you know a, a caribou-like paddle antler, mm-hmm. and with like you know like a spotted uh, um, uh, hide. Those are really uh, real pretty. We've seen them around the area that that I work at. They have one that's like a jet black, which is really weird. Um, and uh, he's actually running around with the, he's got like a inner tube wrapped around his antlers. But we'll see him every once in a while. We're oh, out no. training. So, yeah, there, there he goes. <laughs> he yeah. seems to be doing okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's doing. He, he seems to be fine. He's got a buddy that they that he runs around with. There's two to these two bucks that uh, you see all the time. Um, I assume they drop yeah, their they, antlers eventually. So he should you know, so get freed. I I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I I have not yet. So I've seen sheds for just about everything at this point. Um, but I haven't seen any fallow deer sheds, and I, I don't know that they do, or they don't don't know that they don't. Um, but you know, you would think that like most deer, that they they shed their antlers, and and, and he should be okay. And eventually, something will take that off of him. Either you know, he'll shed it, or another deer will move it for him. Well, there yeah, is so. that too. It would be really cool. I mean, yeah. you know, back here in the states, the only my only understanding of fallow deer is you know they're on you know some exotic game preserve or high fence operation, mm-hmm. or well, I think we actually right. have some 
naturally reproducing populations now that have escaped those things down in Texas. But uh, it would be uh, that, that'd be where it's at. It'd be so cool to shoot one though, a, a wild one that's just in their native grounds because mm-hmm. it would even even yeah. if it was a escaped wild born fallow deer in the wilds of of texas and you harvest it it still has it has a different air about it like mm-hmm. it's still an exotic if you will you know for lack of a better right. term but to go over there and shoot one where that's the land it's been roman since time immemorial time began yeah that yeah. would be that would be pretty cool that would be much more of a trophy yeah. whether it had giant antlers or not to me than you know Going right. down, I'm like, oh, there's a fallow deer that don't belong here, and I'm gonna shoot it. <laughs> right, right, right. No, yeah, I would, uh, I'd absolutely love to to be able to um, to get one over here again if we ever come back. And um, there's a chance that that we will. I don't know that I'll be in the position to come back with the with the next unit, but I'll probably be in a position where I can at least kind of get the army to pay for me to come over here and visit them. And now that I know no folks that can kind of hook me up, like yeah, uh, and you have um, connections yeah, now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like it's just a, yeah, a simple you know WhatsApp text away, and like uh, we could probably have this tag and be working them. So uh, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. But yeah, I, I think shooting them in the wild, like a, an actual like native born fallow deer uh, over some high fence operation, hundred percent. Yeah, right. I would want to. I'd that's how I'd want to do it for sure. Well, let's get back yeah. on uh, track here on topic a little bit. Um, so with these yeah. game cameras, so. You have a you have another interesting perspective, I think, being able to mm-hmm. have an experience with Arkansas and have an experience mm-hmm. in, in Washington. Well, even uh, you could throw Poland in there too. Just has an extreme mm-hmm. example of how not only do laws change sometimes drastically over state lines, but like the hunting culture that kind of drives those laws change. So yeah. what's what's right or ethical for one group of people or one region of the country? can be completely illegal or unethical in the eyes of hunters somewhere else. You know, some states you can bait, some states you can't bait, some states you can run dogs, most states you can't run dogs. And, and those arguments, especially in the internet, because the internet for as being a big thing is also very small, you know, it brings the whole world to one community. And so people bicker and argue and, and say what's right or wrong based on mostly their geographical location or, you know, how they grew up, if nothing else. But that doesn't stop, you know, they don't, in my opinion, I don't feel like they take into account the person they're arguing with, like, their culture or their region or what what is right, wrong, ethical, unethical in in their region. And I I feel a little bit that is starting to creep into this game camera thing, too. Now, game cameras Mm -hmm. have only been around for, I say only, but, God, that must be 20 20 plus years at this point, I would think back when you used to actually have to use film. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That was a long time ago, man. (laughs) Film. You would drop your film off to get developed. You want to talk about like being like Christmas, you go out to your giant and these things were like, I mean, what were they? Uh, 12, 14 inches by, you know, eight or something. These things were giant, took absolute garbage pictures. And uh, yeah, then you had to open that up. Take the roll out, put a new roll in there, set it up, bring that roll to a developing place, and then when they called you, of course I never waited. I went to the one hour photo. I want to see what's right, on this right. picture. I ain't waiting a day. Screw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give it to go eat lunch and then come back and get it. Yeah, right. But talk about getting that envelope. You want to talk about B 
being like Christmas and going, all right, what do we, what do we got on here? And then that's when you realize that you know. had that branch was waving in front of it, and an entire you just paid to have an entire roll developed <laughs> of nothing but a blurry leaf waving in front of your camera. Right. <laughs> so, you yep. kids don't know how good you have it. Um, <laughs> but point being, it's like they've been around for a long time, um, mm-hmm. and they've been used. But now with the relatively recent advance of these cell cameras now at least you don't even have to go into the woods to get them the pictures just come yeah. straight to you so you're not you're not um adding more human scent in and out to check your cameras i mean it's weird how even just that is viewed by other people some people will view that as like that's an unfair advantage i'm more inclined to look at it. it's like that actually gives you a more realistic snapshot of what animals are doing on the day-to-day basis in the absence of human activity. Right. Because once that scent kind of goes away, now you just get them, they're just going to act naturally instead of like, if you're going in there once a month to check your camera, trust me, everything that lives there knows you're going in there once a month to check that camera. I mean, they don't know what you're doing. They know you're there once a month. And they're gonna right. their behavior is going to change at least in some way, shape or form. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're gonna definitely respond to you for sure. So, yeah, there. I remember there was a um, a guy I was talking to at this uh, diner one time. He t- he was he was looking at like uh, Washington since uh, wolves had entered in, and he said that like you know back in the day, like you know we always saw elk here. They all, they would respond to us a certain way. They um, they would call a certain way, and um, he, he said that like you know you don't ever hear people talk about it, but there's a slight change in everything that they do now that wolves are on the scene and uh just like you know that very presence of a predator really kind of like shifts things a little bit so the fact that like you you remove that human element out there they know that 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 you're there that you you hunt them and everything else they're not dumb and uh so like that's going to to cause them to shift you know a, you know a slight way one way or the other just like the wolf you know did for those uh, elks for, or an elk for that guy and so like the fact that you're you're removing that human element like it, it causes them to behave in such a way that um, it's going to be like that humans don't exist or don't enter in that area. And it's probably like probably you probably see uh, a dr- more drastic change in using them in like private land where there's nobody else in theory that's trespassing on that land or anything else like that. And so once you take yourself completely removed it from it all, you're getting a lot, lot more natural picture of like what would it be like if there were no humans here at all. And um and you, you kind of have an advantage whenever you go in, since you haven't been checking that camera, that all of a sudden, like, there's a new element in there. And that could, well, I guess it could be an advantage or a disadvantage because like, now they might freak out or be, they might be like, what is that? And not really think that much about it. So it's a, it's definitely, it's a, the whole debate's extremely nuanced. And, you know, ethics itself is, it's not a monolith. Uh, and that, that goes for you know, anything. And, you know, like, so, I, you know, as a chaplain, I deal with ethical issues on like literally on the daily basis most of the time on multiple days and so like you start to see that like you have to judge a situation on its own merits and uh you know that comes out with with uh you know like combat and tactics. i'm writing an article uh right now for uh about our battalion's culture and one of the things we we bring out in that is that like we have to you know fill our soldiers heads with like mental models to apply to different things because every situation presents a new situation that has to be judged on its own merits if you try to take like a one size fits all you know model to anything then you're only going to set yourself up to be exploited and lose you have to have like a plethora of these different ideas to to employ and there's you, ethics works the same way and it, and it works the same way with this too that 
you know, in certain situations uh, with uh, with trail cameras, maybe the, the the guys that are kind of anti trail camera have a uh, have a point, and we should probably sit back and listen to it. But at the same time, this outright ban on things also kind of like it, it's that one size fits all model answer to the situation that also has you know needs to kind of be called in question because anything that's like this one sweeping you know change is not going to uh, to to fit. Uh, like the North American model of conservation at all, because it's supposed to be science-based. Science-based is supposed to be reasoned and, and thought through and stuff. And this seems to be just kind of a, um, you know, just somewhat lazy uh, you know, to, to just be like, oh, well, we'll just get rid of them all together, like and make the problem go away. And the problem not necessarily going to go away. And so it's, yeah, you I mean, do it a little bit more. It's it, like you said, it's heavily nuanced. And that's kind of why, you know, mm-hmm. that that's what I put in that comment of that article which got us connected was like, I just don't think this is as easy as people want it to be. You know, it seems like the people with the the loudest voices, they don't, they don't want to acknowledge the nuance. And just like you said with, I mean, that is, you could put that towards any debate, whether it's political, you know, I mean, anything religious, societal, anything. It's like, it's, it's, it is heavily nuanced, you know, Right. I find myself really, uh, you know, when I contemplate these things, I I enjoy that nuance. You know, it's mm-hmm. like when you go into the woods, you know, you can just see trees and animals. Like you can make it as two-dimensional as you want. But when you start mm-hmm. looking at the nuance, that kind yeah. of stuff, the, the devil's in the details, right? That's going to make you a better hunter, a better woodsman a better whatever, you oh, know, yeah. you're like, oh, there's this type of, why am I seeing more deer? It's like, well, what are the other, you know, you start taking in more and more information. Oh, there's a certain, there's moss on these trees or it's a certain kind of moss or it's these type of trees or, I mean, it's a mix of trees or whatever the details might be. All those yeah. things will help you put that puzzle together. Well, that, I I feel that kind of nuance can help us in our everyday life or when we find ourselves in debate, whatever it might be with these trail cameras is it's to stop it's almost like if you find yourself typing too fast on your phone or your keyboard, you're yeah, you're probably not I'm not going to say right, but you're probably not really thinking about what you're about to say. It's yep. your knee-jerk reaction, yeah, no. you're just putting it down and you're going to hit send. You haven't really spent time in contemplation like why do I believe what I believe? Am I coming from a place of and the comment may may have some validity. But mm-hmm. if, a is it even your comment, or are you regurgitating something you heard that already fit into your bias, your confirmation bias, and you're just regurgitating it? Um, right. Which I think that's, I think we can all agree when it comes down to any sort of internet debate, that's probably ninety nine point nine percent of responses are regurgitated BS. Um, right. Right. But with this, with this nuance, like I start to think, my mind at times can go probably too deep, where I'm like. Well, I get it. Okay, cell cameras are new. It's a new technology. But every time we've had a new technology, we we seem to have this knee-jerk reaction to this is bad. But right. that new technology, even that term, like at one point in time, and this is where my brain goes kind of abstract and, and no, yeah, go for it. Goes way, I, 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 goes, I, goes way too deep the other way. It. Yeah, it goes way too right. deep the other way. It's like at one point in time, stick and string – and a stone broadhead was new technology. I mean, right. that, it was. So 
when you start, and so right now with our current debate about trail cameras, like they've been out, even cell cameras have been out now for five years or more. So they're not really new, new. And now we're starting to dial back that tech, right. like what we're able to use and what, you know, they're adjusting their hunting regulations. Like, okay, well, you can, we're not all not banning them, but we're going to, you can't use them during hunting season or you can only use them from here to here or you can't use cell cameras. You can use regular trail cameras or, you know, like every state kind of has their own, they're, they're, they're making it up kind of as they go along, which is fine. I don't want to, I don't want to demonize that. But to my point, it's like their basis of doing it is this idea that this technology is somehow making it unfair or unsportsmanlike. But again, that technology, right. while relatively new to us in the society, everything was a new technology. Compound bows yep. weren't even a thing until the 80s, right? Like that mm-hmm. gives you a distinct advantage to be able to come at full draw and be able to hold it because of that let off versus a recurve or a longbow. That's a, that's a huge advantage. And I mean, where do you start drawing right. that line? Our boots are light, more lightweight. You can hike further longer. Um, I mean, down to every right. bit, every bit of equipment that you use, the clothing is better. It keeps you warmer, drier, wicks moisture away from you. Your, your camping stuff, your sleeping bag, all of it is better. All of it is, has the benefit of technology and advancement. Where do you draw the line? And I'm not saying you shouldn't draw the line. That's the other thing. Like, right, again, right. I don't, I'm not, I don't really have a strong opinion about this. What I'm interested in is illuminating the shallow thought. I think that a lot of people have this is like tethering, tethering their identity or their personality to a certain thing and then becoming hyper ideological about it where it becomes a shouting match. Yeah. I think, I right. think that and that's really the danger that that is a danger. And I think that, and it'll, it'll tear the hunting community part from the inside out, you know, not to use the big bad wolf, you know, the anti hunters kind of fear mongering thing, right. but you know, we have enough attacks from the outside that we don't really need to be ripping ourselves in from the inside because like any kind of cancer and that's exactly yeah. how I it would agree, work. 100%. It would just keep growing. And then, you know that that's the a cancer is a way bigger threat than I might get into a car accident on my way to work today. You know that that's that's the anti hunter. The anti hunter is like, yeah, well, you right. may run into a problem out there in the big, wide, scary world, but you can avoid that. You can take precautions. You can you know whatever. But when it starts in when when there's a problem internally, that's a real risk. That's where the real damage is going to come in. So yeah. I just want people. I don't even care what their opinion is. I just want them to be able to articulate that opinion. Let me know when we have a debate about it or when we're exchanging ideas yeah. that you've thought about it and that you that your argument or your viewpoint can hold up the scrutiny. And then I'll be fine. I'll be I'll actually be happy that we came to a like, well, we'll agree to disagree on that, but like you ha- at least I know you've thought about it and it's just not just this surface knee jerk. Well, it's just wrong. Well, that, that that's not an argument. It's just not, and I'm not going to respect it. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I I, I agree 100. percent That there's there's a lot to this, and if you start looking at uh, you know like Utah, the guy that that um, that that championed this, that wrote a lot of the uh, 
the legislation for it. He also was the uh, the guy that spearheaded the uh, constitutional right to hunt and fish. He's not a terrorist. He's not a, a bad guy. And he's sitting there going through and saying, like, hey, look, you know, I think to, to preserve our um, – our reputation as hunters, we should put these these own uh, rules on ourselves. But in, in his context, he's looking at like, you know, they have a limited amount of water and they're hanging all these trail cameras right on top of water holes. And so he's saying that, like, look, guys, like, you know, like we know they're going to the water hole, like hang your trail cameras somewhere else. And so like he's he's kind of like uh, at least been able like I, I respect the guy a lot because like he's I've watched that, you know, kind of kind of prep for this. I got on there and then like listen to his you know side of the argument. He's very articulate and be like, this is why, um, you know, like why I wanted to do this. And this is why I believe it, uh, that this is the way that, that it should go. And so at least he's, he's kind of, uh, you know, ironed that out. And so like, if you're willing to sit there and at least listen to him and see where he's coming from and then understand that like the water situation in Utah is very different from the water situation in Louisiana, Arkansas, Texas, Georgia, Washington. Washington's like one of the wettest states I've ever been in. And, um, and so like, you don't have those same kind of concerns. And so when you start looking at it, it's like, okay, well, like, you know, in his context, maybe it is unethical to do this. I mean, like you could have some debate about that, but at least you see where he's coming from. And if you start looking at, at like, you know, you're, you're really right to kind of point towards like, Hey, look, look at the techniques that anti hunters actually use. They don't go for like white tail deer hunting. They go for let, you know, can you hunt a uh, bear with over bait or can you hunt bear with dogs? They fight, they try to find fractures and try to divide, you know, divide us. So that way we're not unified fighting them. And then, you know, it's a, that's a classic combat technique. Like, don't fight everybody. I mean, Napoleon did that. He would cut through a, a, a formation and then take all of his army and throw it at one side of it. And after they squashed that guy, he would they turn and go for the next guy. And it's not. It's the same game, just in a different context. And so, if we let ourselves, you know, get hung up on something like this and divide the line right down the middle, we're doing favors for the people that would want to do serious damage. Whereas, like, if you lose a trail camera, well, man, welcome to 1995. We don't run no trail cameras. <laughs> right, you know, right. If they were, it would too, you know, they're expensive and and they're too clunky to really even use. And so, you're not really going, you know, that far back. I mean. Fred Bear would put down grizzly bears with uh, with basically a stick bow, and like you know, he didn't have a trail camera. It was fine, and so like um, you're not really losing if if you're in a state where you just completely lost this trail camera. Oh, so your pain because I love tricking my kids. It's like a full on other hobby. Like if, if you're some like, hey, look, you can't hunt anymore. It's like, well, you know, I still got my trail camera, so I can right. still hunt. Yeah. I just sure. can't kill anything. Uh, but like, uh, you know, to to let you know, yeah, to let somebody. Uh, come in and divide the hunting community with that. That's pretty bad. And the the, the sad part is, like uh, you know, like you said, it's a cancer. It, is, it absolutely is because like it it would be us turning on ourselves, you know, like absolutely trying to like you know consume ourselves rather than trying to be united and just having a a, a very you know uh, understanding debate that like look, you know, we need that to we absolutely need to police ourselves. And that's one of the the anti trail camera people will, will use it. Like at some point we have to draw the line and say, look, no more technology. Uh, we need to, to preserve the you know the sanctity of the hunt, and we need to do that. And they have a, a they have a point, but at the same time, like you know, like you know, a one size fits all model for anything is is inherently broken, and like it's not going to work very well. And so you you've got to be able to sit with and listen to the other guy and see where he's coming from, and see if like if does he have a point? Because you could probably learn something from him. And he could probably learn something from you, but you got to have that dialogue. And if you don't have that dialogue, then uh, we have a lot bigger problems than just, a, uh, you know, whether or not I can hang a camera on a tree or not. 
Yeah, I get a little. Well, at least that's I, my opinion on it. <laughs> I get a little un, un. No, I agree, and I get a little. Um, one of the things you said, like it, it twinges me. Like I get triggered by when I hear stuff like "protect the sanctity of the hunt," because mm-hmm. that, that's that's like a religious term. And as a chaplain, like you know, there's many mm-hmm. walks of of oh, spirituality, yeah. right? And each each person right. as devout a different level of, of devoutness if that's the right way to put it but they all think they're right right their their brand of religion is is the right one and all the other ones have it wrong right that so when i start hearing yeah. like we have to protect the sanctity of the hunt well by what measure right but what, what are you talking about do we have to have a ceremony you know like native americans do i have to put paint on my face like what's the correct way to do this like right. what do you mean protect the sanctity of the like you have to define you can't just say stuff like that you need to define that better like that's that in and of itself in my opinion is a terrible argument it's just it's just it's too it's too right broad like what is what do you mean like it, yeah it's too all in, yeah yeah right yeah it, and yeah that 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 makes a lot of, a lot of sense i mean so like i have a friend of mine he's just he's a new hunter one of my like has become one of my bigger passions is like uh taking people who have never hunted before and then you can start it on it because there's a lot of people who want to do it but they just don't know where to go and then a place like you know washington like i always tell people all the time like man if you're in arkansas like i'll give you a, a, an 870 pump and then put you in the first set, set of public land and be like go shoot some squirrels like mm-hmm. and you'll learn tons of, of doing that but in washington you don't have that. And so, uh, so the kind of the next bit, best thing is grouse hunting. So I got this guy, he, he's just like, teach me how to hunt. I was like, well, you need to start with something small game and just kind of get out there and just figure it out. And, uh, and so I was like, the best thing that you got in your area is grouse. And uh, you can learn a lot by uh, you know, shooting those, those little grouse. And, uh, and so he's like, okay. So he starts got, kind of going this rabbit hole of like learning about it because he can't, he's over here with me. So he, he can't necessarily, um, you know, hunt like, like you'd, you'd want. Uh, and so he's, so he ordered him a book. Well, he orders this book about, uh, uh grouse hunting and he's going through it, And this guy, he, he's like, man, this guy's not saying it's, it's so hard. And, and he, you can only shoot them when they're flying and all this <laughs> stuff. Like it, it, this dude is just like, so over the top, uh, with, with this, like, you know, fair chase stuff. And I, and I'm, I, I look, man, like, it's not necessarily that way. I was like, you should just start watching some YouTube videos and you can see the different ways to do it. And he get and the, the next morning at breakfast. He's like, you know, I was watching these guys who were just driving around in their truck and kicking these birds up and shooting them out of the trees. I was like, oh, yeah, that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it's, I mean, it's, not really, it's not that hard. It, uh, and uh, he was just like, yeah. You know, and it's weird, right? Because, it, like, grouse is a perfect but, uh, example. It just show, goes to show that, yeah. That grouse is a perfect example because mm-hmm. if, if – yeah. yeah, it is. The grouse hunters will look down on you if you ground pound them or shoot them out of a tree. Like, you're, that's wing shooting. You're supposed to shoot those out of a wing. Yeah. On the wing, whatever. If you're yeah. turkey hunting, you are shunned if you yeah. shoot a turkey on the wing. Like that, you do shoot on the ground, but not in the tree. In the you tree. can shoot them on the yeah, ground. Yeah, right. Like, what, where where do all these weird rules right. come from? You know, like, who 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 said this is how know. it's supposed yeah. to be? So that that leads me – that's a good segue into um, going back to that your, your first kind of statement on the West – yeah. Where, well, first of all, so that that guy yeah. that you did the research on, that lawmaker, is this a video or an article that he posted? I'd like to see that or watch that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you don't have to send I me a link I, to whatever I, I, that is. I don't have his name in my note. I th- yeah. I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll post it on uh, on that same uh, thread that we were on. Perfect. And you'll see perfect. That, that, the comment on there. You can share that or whatever. Yeah. And that'd so, be great. Um, 
Yeah, uh, so that way anybody can yeah, see I can it. Put it yeah. yeah, I can put it in the show notes. Yeah, he, um, he, yeah, he, oh, okay, yeah. So I'll, I'll look that up in there. But yeah, he did a podcast. The thing went on for like an hour and a half of them just, you know, sitting there talking to, uh, back and forth. And, and uh, you could tell the, uh, the, the guys that are running it, they own a trail cam company like in Utah, if I remember right. And uh, you, they obviously have a vested interest to be like, hey, man, like, you know, like, you know, why are you making my product illegal? And, uh, and he gets on there and they, they have a pretty civil, uh, you know, like conversation uh, about it back going back and forth. And um, yeah, like his, his whole deal basically kind of like hung around um, that, like you could go to any water hole in Utah and there's like 30 of these cameras. They were just, they're, they're just getting out of control because there's so many cameras stacked up on top of there. And that's a new, you don't see that in any other state. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I found um, two cameras in the area where I have the majority of my cameras in Washington and they're down at like 1900 feet on like a very he- heavily trafficked spot. They're not going to find my cameras because they're about a mile up, and it takes like a full day to just get to them. <laughs> all right, and so yeah, so uh, so like it, that's just a complete different you know like context. But if you start looking at it through his eyes, it's just like look, you know, we there's only like ten water holes in the whole state of this whole area, um, and they all have everyone's cameras on there. At some point, it, it like things have kind of gotten out of hand, and maybe we should start looking at maybe doing something about that. And so it, it, that's kind of like where he was at with him. And it, like, yeah, I'll, I'll post that on there so that you can see and, and see where his, uh, where his mind was at with it. But it, it made sense. I don't, I don't know that I fully uh, agree with him, but like um, it did make sense that like maybe some, something needed to be done because they, they seemed to have such a problem. And, and his whole thing was not necessarily the cameras themselves. It's all the traffic going to them. And so it's just like, like, you know, you, you have like 30 cameras and you, everyone's checking their camera one day a week. Then you have like at least one human showing up at this, at this spot every single day. And is at what point, you know, do you force the animals to change because you're showing up at this water hole every day that it has an adverse effect on the population or whatever. And that was kind of his whole thing. And, you know, it's just like, I think it's a good point. It's something that, that we, like, as a hunting community should really look and struggle with and say like, you know, what's the well, you know what's the best thing for you know for the the animals that we love and what's the best thing for for our, you know our whole community so that way we don't have somebody else who doesn't have our interest at heart to show up and try to do something about that like we're better off if we show up and say like okay look we're going to self regulate so that way we don't have these problems um instead of creating a, a situation where there is a problem and somebody else decides that they want to jump in there and do it and that was kind of like where his head was at let's get ahead of this before it becomes a problem and like i said like the guy um he spearheaded uh, the constitutional right to hunt and fish in his home state. Like he's not—he's not a bad guy. Like this is not PETA or, or you know, you know, somebody else showing up trying to uh, disrupt hunting in some way, shape, form, or fashion. So. Oh, well, this is good. This is this is why I think like these conversations and listening to the other person's nuanced perspective is important because when we first start talking about it, my brain went to you know playing devil's advocate. It's like, well, there's only so many watering holes, and so everybody puts their cameras. So I'm like, well. If you already know all the, like, is it a problem? If you already know all, if you already know all the animals are going there, why are you even putting a camera there? Other than yeah, everybody right. likes an easy target, right? And it, it just kind of, everybody likes to pull a card and see a target animal on. So mm-hmm. it's like, I want to put it here. Is it really going to help your hunt? No, you already know they're there. Chances are they're using it at night if there's that much pressure on it. So does it really matter? Are we fixing a problem that doesn't really matter? But then as you got into it. I was getting more information that I didn't have before. So I think there is probably some merit to that. Okay. There's so much human traffic there. How is that influencing 
the wildlife and is it, is it having just our presence there is it having a negative impact are yeah are are some animals who would be going there to get hydrated now are they not going there are they in are they in less health because of the added stress of coming to this waterfold water hole due to human interaction is it having a overall detrimental effect on the local population i mean i guess that's something that would have to be studied but that's something that wasn't even in my mind before i had not even remotely heard that that argument to that so then my brain starts going all right if that is the case does that mean you have to ban trail cameras statewide can you set up, I mean, right. can you set up like camera refuges, you know, like this is a camera free zone and you could, mm-hmm. I mean, with Onyx and everything else, it'd be pretty easy to overlay, you know, your little yeah. red hazed out, like yeah. here's where you can have cameras. Here's where you cannot. I mean, yeah. if it's something like my water thought process hole, was what, yeah, do that. Like, what a be- like what, tell me, like what's a better opportunity for like a conservation agency, like like a state game agency, or like something like you know, uh, TRCP or backcountry hunters anglers to show up and be like, hey, look, you know, like you know, we'll work with the state to say like no private cameras on there, but we'll put like a, a cell camera up that's public and everybody can see what's coming and going. Uh, and then we only have like one guy that shows up and, and does that. And that that in turn would be like uh, one of the things that like I, I'm very passionate uh, about as a uh, both as a chaplain and as an army officer. is like there is no such thing as as a, as a uh, disaster. There's only opportunity. It's just opportunity sometimes to get disguised as like bad news. And so like if you look at this as like, look, we have this problem. But is there a way that we could actually bolster the hunting community, knit us together even tighter, and give us a better public face uh, if we just show up there and we um, turn around and, and we, if we turn around and we use this opportunity or the uh, to uh, to to do that? And so, like, we put up a, a public camera; it's public domain. It, it gets put on there, and that sort of turns around and says, like, "Hey, look, you know, these hunters and stuff have have elected." not to go into that area to, to disrupt this, but they've also turned around and tried to add value to the, like kind of the whole public sphere. Like this is what animals look like whenever they're watering and this is what's there and stuff. And that keeps the human traffic out because like it's already there. It's already like on this website or, or, or whatever. And, um, and, you know, turns around and, and adds value to the greater conversation rather than just simply being like, oh, just take them all out and, and get them away. And so there was a um, there's a, a guy that's in I think he's in Arizona um, where they they were making the, the case but let's not do let's do this like no uh, trail cameras within a quarter mile of uh, of the of any sort of like you know watering hole and stuff so that way you still have your trail cameras you still like to your point that like you know they're going there it's just where they go after because you can't have four million hunters sitting on top of the you know this like creek or something and expecting actually to do anything now they'll just go nocturnal they'll come there at night and then they'll leave. And um, and so, what's your real question that you that you actually want to answer is where do they go after that? Where I, I can kind of corner them whenever I'm whenever I'm away, and uh, you know that that was a, an answer that was at least put out and entertained. But for some reason or other, they they decided to just do the, this whole on ban, which is not any kind of anything that's like this one big sweeping change for an issue that is as nuanced and as complex as this is, uh, you know, it's pretty bad. I mean, like banning meth is, is probably a good idea because there's no good to it, but banning trail cams, I mean, come on, man. Like it, there's a little bit more to it than that. Well, I mean, not, not to argue yeah. for meth, but even, even that, <laughs> yeah, right? even that we're finding out, you know, with the certain psychedelic drugs and even, I mean, even all the opiates, cocaine right. and heroin, like they do have a medical, uh, aspect Use, to it, yeah. so I would say amphetamines probably at some point, you know, like 
probably do have some sort of medical uh, validity, right. but you know, recreationally, probably not so much. <laughs> probably doing right, way right. more damage than uh, I, I, that would be a hard one to to argue against. I think we're all in agreement that meth <laughs> generally bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, right. Uh, but, even, even but just saying, even that has some. Even nuance. that has some nuance. So even just going, okay, right, not right. you know, let's legalize drug, but not meth. Okay, well, that even that would have like, you know, that there's a conversation at least to be had there. Um, but going back to right. the watering hole thing. Um, again, the other thing I would like to see too is we can speculate, we can have our opinions. Like, is it adversely affecting wildlife? Is it somehow having this negative impact? Well, is it? Do you have an answer for that? Has there been a study on it? Like, right. the, the fact that eight thousand people are setting cameras over this watering hole, my gut instinct is to say this probably has this is bad. This probably has some sort of negative impact on the wildlife and everything. But does it? Have you proven that? Is that Show me the study. Like, why can't we just study it? We, you have this thing. People are doing it. You know what they're going to do, their habits. You can easily get some of those right. trail camera pictures. You can bring in forestry, bring in uh, wildlife management, you know, biologists, and let's study it for a couple years. Let's see what the actual impact of it. And then if, then if you do find that wildlife movements are definitely uh, changed because of it and they're changed in a negative way, well, now you have a more concrete, argument to come to us like listen this is why you as a hunter even though you're a hunter yeah. that takes part in this practice here's why you should care or probably will care when i show you this evidence if you want better hunting and you want healthier wildlife and more more opportunities this is why you're going to be in support of this like you may you may need jerk be like what i love my trail yeah. camera but when i prove to you like yeah but here's what's happening with when you do that you're actually having a lesser your your experience is actually lessened. You'll have a greater hunting experience. Yeah. In the absence of those. Okay, great. Then show me that. But without evidence I, I, right. I, your gut instinct isn't enough for me. <laughs> I mean Right. You very well might be right. Yeah. But prove it. That's all I ask. Internet's yeah. A choppy yeah. Radio. So like, uh, and the thing is, is like, we've already, yeah. You're good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we've, yeah. And I think that's, that's a, a, a good, honest ask like that. Um, we, you know, we having hunted in Poland, you, you're, you're confronted with a completely different way of doing things. And that's made me value the way we do things so much more. And we have like, we have the North American model of conservation. The six tenant is just like everything is science-based. My biggest gripe with all of this, and despite the fact that it does kind of, it fractures the hunting community, which is like egregious in and of itself, but it's the fact that we we're violating, you know, like the fact that like, we're not even following our own model. We're following uh, like this crazy European model where we're just like just doing things without actually you know, applying any sort of actual science to what's going on. And we, we don't do that with anything else. Like we, we, we set season dates based on, you know, population studies. We decide like, Hey, look, these are the areas where we're going to hunt. This is this herd of elk. Well, you know, they had a really rough go this winter. They're being hunted by, by wolves and they already had weak numbers to begin with. We're not going to hunt them this year. We're like, you'd say, this is just off limits so that they can recover. That's all science-based work. It's all like, it is follows the, the rules of the game that we set on ourselves to say like, this is the way that we should do things. And I'll tell you every single hunter that we hunted with uh, over here, all wanted to come to America because they, they knew that it's so much better over there. 
this like you know uninformed uh, you know like kind of like approach to things it works against that and it will only uh, like uh, hurt us in the long run if this becomes a precedent of like look you know we can just you know just do whatever we want like for instance like uh, the the public uh form that, that came out uh, i forgot what the right legal term is for it, but the fact that they 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 put it up to a vote of the public whether or not like uh trapping could continue in, in washington state or not um like had you know drastic effects on uh the 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 practice of trapping in washington i've tried to trap beavers in a, a cage trap you know for the past couple of years it's really difficult yeah, to do luck. they just they don't like going in cages <laughs> no. yeah like it's it's really hard um uh, and uh but that wasn't from any sort of like actual study that was done based on like hey look you know trapping has these in impacts and maybe we shouldn't continue it then there was no study done it whatever it was just simply like some people in in olympia that didn't like hunting they got resourced by some anti-hunting group and they just put it out to a vote like look these these guys they, they capture these animals and they torture them for days on end and uh and that's the narrative that came out and they the people were like well we don't want that and they just voted against it and that's where like you know like now you can't trap in, in washington effectively um and that's where that kind of like thinking will get you like it, it just it, it doesn't help the hunting community it doesn't help uh, wildlife that like all those Pittman Robertson dollars that would have gone into conserving you know the the fur bearers of Washington simply don't exist anymore like they don't have those resources because of, of that type of mentality and you could have the same sort of impact by applying this to trail cameras or anything else you need to follow that the North American model of conservation that basically says hey look before we do anything we're going to know what we're getting ourselves into we're going to know the details we're going to know the nuance we're going to know that the ramifications of our actions if we don't do that then we're going to end up having like you know something go completely sideways on us later on down the road yeah i i don't know how you get this changed but i would really like to see game and fish laws not happen at the legislative level i feel like those game laws should be made like you know like the the dnr or i mean maybe not even the department of natural resources but i guess that would make the most sense but some sort of you know not congress you know not your state legislature represented like i, I don't feel like that stuff should come to a vote that stuff should be like here's what the wildlife biologists tell right. us is the best for our goals you know and they 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 should be setting those regulations so i don't the, the law should be passed that right yeah we take their we take their recommendations as gospel basically like i'm sure the way it legally is that yeah. the, that that the yeah, lawmakers have to actually make the laws but it should be I don't know. Again, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a lawmaker. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the right way to do it. But some some wording where it's like, we will officially put this in the law, but we will take their recommendation when when they give us here's what this state needs for the healthiest wildlife we can get. Then all right, let's go ahead and put that into law. And it's like a unanimous thing. It's like we're not going to have a debate about it because. To, to use the pejorative, like some crazy cat right. lady living in a high-rise apartment who's yep. never stepped foot in in a national park or a national forest has no idea how any of this stuff works. Why do they have a say? <laughs> I mean, I, I hate right. to I hate to put it <laughs> yeah, right. I hate to put it that way, but like, why do they get a say? Like, they don't. Right. They they couldn't be more ignorant of the of the 
a situation of, of the topic. So why does their vote, why does their voice have as much weight as mine, if not more, because it's right. emotionally charged? You know, I don't, that's, yeah. that's, that's an inequality yeah, that, if you that, ask that's me. A, that's a, a hard one. Yeah, I mean, when yeah, where do you draw the line of yeah, who gets to say so, like, and who doesn't the, get to the, say? I mean, kind of. But that's why I think it should be taken out of politicians' hands. Right. Yeah. The. Uh, right. Yeah, and it probably there's definitely probably some work that we need to do there. I mean, like you want to like you know the, most games game fish agency like you don't have a lot of these type of like um, fights in the South. They just don't exist. Like I mean, they, they exist, but they're they're very small. And usually they're they're griping. They're, everyone's always mad with the game of fish agency for one reason or another. It's usually over something silly, but um, you know, like out west, you definitely have that contention where it's like, okay, yeah, yeah the crazy cat lady. Why is she, you know, like why does she have have anything to, to say about this? Because the only thing, her only agenda is just no hunting, and she has no idea how her conservation model works. She has no idea about Pittman Robinson. She has no idea about Dingle Johnson. She has no idea how any of the whole system works. That we actually are, are like, you know, helping. Ursula along, and we're very much view ourselves as stewards of the very thing that we love, and uh, yeah. So, like, at what point do you uh, do you disqualify somebody's um, you know like you know opinion? And but at the same time, the moment that you start putting qualifications on, like, okay, well, these guys can vote on this, or these guys get to get a say on this. Well, there's either going to be some somebody that gets completely like marginalized by that, or you're going to have a situation where, like, let's say, like you know, you can only vote on this. If you have a hunting hunting license, well, somebody will just go buy a hunting license, and you know that'll be it. We'll get an influx of uh, Pittman Robertson dollars, and that's super cool. Um, but like at the same time, like you're going to have all these other people that can now vote that are voting our interest, and and you see that somewhat in Washington because you have a um, uh, the board is basically or the, the Game of Fish board. Uh, gets uh, appointed by by the governor, who's like extremely far left leaning. So he loads that joker up with with like there's a zookeeper on there. I mean, it's just like what the hell does she have to do with any of this? You know, like you know. And uh, all of a sudden, when they open up the uh, the these public forums, which COVID did actually a lot for the hunting community, one of the things where we had kind of like a negative effect was that they moved all of their public forums online, which meant that all of a sudden now these people from California can get on and like, there's no qualification. They're like, are you a Washington resident? Do you have a vested interest in, in the, uh, you know, the, the bear of Washington? Like, no, I live in Sacramento and I don't like you. Know, the fact that you have a spring bear season, so we're going to take that away from you. You know? And like, it's just, so like, it's a, it's a rough one to wrestle with because what do you do? Like, I mean, like, you know, you, you want to have a collaborative relationship with the public. And so like, you want to get, get that information to come in. But at the same time, the moment that you start engaging the public on anything, you get the crazies that, that will come out. And then the, once you once you weaponize it, I mean, if social media has taught us anything. It shouldn't be just that here. If you give like the sword to the crazy people, there's no telling what the lizard going to burn down. And, well, we, and they, we, we start running into that. They did give us a sword that we can use. I say they. I mean, um, the, the, the phrase of follow the science. That's been popped up around <laughs> right. this damn this damn uh, pandemic. But now I get to use that. I get to use that in all right. sorts of arguments. And and hunting and fishing is a perfect uh, realm for it because when people start leading with their emotions, like, well, I just don't feel it's right. I I'll just say, well, follow the science. Right. Water, wildlife right. numbers are healthier with hunting as a tool than without. Mm -hmm. And go to California, the most blatant uh, example ever. They banned lion hunting. Listen, yeah. you may feel better about that,
but the exact same number of lions are being killed every year. But instead yeah, of else. instead of <laughs> hunters paying for it, utilizing yeah. it, the flesh, the hide, all of it, these things are very unceremoniously being called from nature, and mm-hmm. because it's illegal to use any of them, they're just unceremoniously dumped into a pit and buried with the with the backhoe. Is that better? Are you that yeah. that makes you sleep better at night? What you right. don't yeah. like that- is people taking some sort of enjoyment out of it. That's what you don't like. So don't come at me and tell me it's for the lions because it's not for the lions because the same amount right. of lions are dying. Again, follow yeah. the science, and the science says. We need to take X amount of cats off of the landscape because once we go over that threshold, there is a negative impact on everything else, whether that's um, black-tailed deer numbers, livestock, interactions with people, all, all those things. Follow the science. Right. Your emotions do not trump science. They don't. They just don't. Right, right. Yeah. No, I, I think that's that's probably the – the probably the second most egregious thing about this whole trail camera thing is that we're not doing that. We're setting a precedence to continue to not do that because the moment that we start doing that, who knows where this Pandora's box, you know, will end up, you know, leading. If you start to, to say like, well, we just don't like trail cameras. Well, like, well, we just don't like compound bows could be next. I mean, it's somewhat of a slippery slope fallacy, but it, it, it could happen. And it has happened. I've watched it in, uh, you know, Washington. Uh, you don't have, you don't see the, those type of arguments being used in, you know, in Georgia or uh, Arkansas or, you know, it's like that, you know, they're still, you know, religiously holding to uh, the North American model conservation. And that's the way it should be. It should be before we make any kind of sweeping changes like this, it needs to be, you know, thoroughly fleshed out and, and studied it. So that way we know the, the true consequences of, of our actions, be it we ban it or, or we don't, but at the very least that is like, you know, tailored to the the environment that we're in, the context that we're in, all the nuances of that in particular state, uh, or that in particular zone of, of that in particular state. Because I mean, you know, you look at Utah and Arizona; those are those are big, complex ecosystems. Like they're huge. I mean, like Utah itself is, I think, bigger than Poland. And Poland's massive. And so, like, if you start looking at that, it's just like, well, hey, look, you know, like a statewide ban on this stuff probably isn't the uh, the right way to go about this. Like, there's probably some areas that where we might need to say, hey, look, you know, no trail cameras here because of these reasons. But then the rest of the states probably had no impact on it at all. And you're just basically, you're you're fracturing the, the, the hunting public uh, by doing that. And you're creating a, uh, a, a nuance for our enemies to use and you're creating a fracture for them to exploit. I mean, it's like the perfect you know thing that if I was a, a, a PETA person or the crazy cat lady in Sacramento, then I'd be like, you know, overjoyed that you're, you're doing this because now I have somewhere to go and something to use. Yeah, you give them, you definitely give them some ammo. You know, it's like um, suppressors is another good example. Mm-hmm. Most people that don't hunt are going to look at a suppressor and they're going to think some Rambo movie, right? It's a silencer. Mm-hmm. It's a, that's not a fair thing. But there are there are I believe other countries in the world where it's actually like you have to have a suppressor because yep. it's a health. They, they, they've come at it from a totally different angle. And you want to talk about nuance. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, this is better for your hearing. You're not damaging your ears. You're not. And it, even out West, like there's evidence that like uh, the sound of gunfire will attract mm-hmm. grizzly bears to your kill, which creates a whole nother problem. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. that's something you could mitigate with a, with a suppressor, you know? Yeah. And then you have another argument, I mean, this is a heavily nuanced one. Then now you have like um, game managers or conservation officers that 
don't like it because they like being able to hear the shot. They know something happened over there. Now they can go over there and keep an eye on it. Like that's a tool for them. Being able to hear when right. gunshots go off, that is a tool for them. So it's like, right. boy, you want to talk about getting into the it? weeds of a, of, of a, of a situation. Suppressors is a, is nothing but muddy waters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll say, so like a, we, uh, so not, not all of us, but so there's three of us that, that hunted the red stag here. Um, one of the guys, uh, actually had a rifle with a suppressor on it. And so we were very interested in actually hunting with, with, with the suppressor. Because uh, one of us, uh, Tim, was uh, actually going to order one. He had put in a, uh, he bought it before we left. And so he was looking forward to, to actually seeing it seeing it in action uh, so as a kind of a mental model for whenever he goes home. And, um, you know, it was really like when, when you actually heard the rifle go off and, and you actually kind of saw the impact of it, it's like I, I really only saw nothing but good that actually came out of it. Um, the, uh, you know, it, it really is kind of like a human safety thing or a, a human health thing that you don't, you don't have a massive explosion happening right, you know, in front of your face. You have something that it's still loud. I mean, you're still going to hear it for a pretty good ways, but it's not nearly as loud as, uh, as, you know, just a, a seven wind mag just like exploding. <laughs> right. Um, you, you know, so, uh, so that was kind of, kind of interesting. Another one that's kind of nuanced here that like you, you'll, um, I, like, uh, I think Ronella just did, did a podcast on the same thing a week or two ago. And he, and he was kind of pointing to, if you look, the, the way this is going to trend, there's something we need to kind of pay attention to is the use of thermals because like thermals are going to become, you know, more and more used uh, in the U S and had I not hunted here, I would have been like, nah, I don't know about that. But like uh, those guys all use thermals like to, to, to see everything. And um, I could see the same, you know, crowd of people basically saying like, Oh, well, you know, this violates fair, fair chase ethics and all this other kind of stuff. Um, but really, honestly, man, the only thing I saw that came out of, of them using thermals, it made them I mean, like poor hunters because like there was a weird, I'm, you know, behind my guide and he's like walking around in the middle of the day, like scanning with thermals, trying to find the easy thing out. He completely walked by a much nicer stag uh, than I did, but I'm slipping. Like I'm like in the Arkansas bottoms, man. I'm just like easing behind him. <laughs> and I look over and I, I see this thing. And I was like, I was like, dude, like I go to like get him. And he's just, he's totally like zoned in and, and like uh, try to get him to turn around and look at this. But because he's like locked in on this like little hole, he's not actually being a part of the landscape and actually feeling what's going on around him. So he totally missed it. And uh, that uh, stag moved off before I got a shot off at him, but he was just like, all right, we'll find another one. We'll just keep on scanning with this thing. And I was like, like you, you completely missed like, you know, something because you were so reliant on this technology that if anything, the thermal actually worked in favor of the animal, but I can totally see, you know, people saying, you know, like, Oh, well, you know, this, this violates fair chase. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, there's, there's a lot to it. That's for sure. And there's something we probably need to think about like going forward, because if it does start to, to trend, cause it's, it's huge here, you can, they, they all use them uh, over here and, and you know, they're like $2,000. They're super expensive uh, to, to run around with these like little monocles um, and they rely on them heavily. And so if they're, they're big here, I could see them becoming big in the U S so I think Ranello probably has a point that we probably should, be thinking about it and having a conversation about it before the, you know, the technology hits over here and we start buying it. Um, it's just a, a thought for sure. Yeah. You definitely can get, um, technology can for sure be a hindrance. Um, oh, yeah. so in fishing, you know, there's, there's a new kind of, uh, sonar technology called live scope mm-hmm. where you, it's like, it shoots way off. It's like forward facing sonar, instead of just our normal fish finders that go straight down, this one looks out straight. And so you can see fish moving. You can actually, if you get it dialed in right, you can almost kind of tell what type of fish it is, what size fish it is. You can really target these things. But where it becomes a distraction 
is you're so keyed in on playing that game, like, oh, the fish are over there, and then you, you jump over there, 50 feet over there, you run over there. And so right now it's wintertime, so we're this, doing this on a hard surface and a frozen lake. You run over there, you drill right. a hole, you put it down there where the fish are, well, they're 50 feet over there. And so you run over there and you try it. So you're just constantly <laughs> chasing these fish around, whereas if you would just sit down, Use your yeah, right. your other kind of electronics. It's just and once they're underneath you, now you're there to intercept them when they get there. Instead of just constantly being behind them, trying to chase this on a you know this target you can't yep. get in front of. So there's definitely times where technology works against us. But again, I want to yeah. go back. You know, with the thermals and that, it's you know, and Ronell is probably right. We should we should be having that conversation right now. And part of that conversation, I think, is we need to take the available information and evidence we have right now. Let's look at these other countries. Let's study these other countries on the surface. What is your gut instinct? You know, what is your, what is the emotion you have when you see somebody using thermals? It's this. Okay. But what we really need to see is the study needs to have, okay, when thermals came on the scene up till now, how did that impact overall wildlife numbers, game numbers? Did it have a negative impact? Because if yeah. it did, now you have a sound argument. But if you're just going off of, I just don't like thermals, it seems like an unfair advantage. <laughs> right. Is it an unfair advantage? Is it having real-world effects? Like, it, right. that, that's what we need to know. Like, yeah, like, no, I agree. I, I, don't, I don't want your gut instinct. I don't want your feelings. I don't want your emotions. I want to know. I want right. hard evidence. Follow the science. Right. Like we, right. we have the tools, yeah. and it's perfect. Yeah, you, you just go look at Poland. They use it over there. You have real world examples. There's going right. to be numbers. Go look at them. Get some data heads right. on it. Compile the evidence. Let's go. Yeah. No. And that's what we need to. And it, the, the frustrating part about this, it, it's kind of, it, it's it's a frustrating conversation to even have is because like we already base all of our wildlife like regulations off of that very thing it's just for one reason or another we that you have these departures from it they just kind of go off sideways and so like sometimes like you need like those like standard deviations to basically oh well like you know like we screwed this up let's pay more attention to, to any conversations we have and stick with like with you know the thing that that uh, actually works and uh, and like the thing is that like you know a lot of these like new technologies they start to show up they don't necessarily mean that there's going to be this increase of efficacy like you can see that like if you look at the way that the army uh, showed up in vietnam right we showed up more technologically advanced and we lost all right like fighting you know like having the the better stuff doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be more successful it's like being able to do the thing actually better that's what makes you more successful so, you know the Viet Cong actually ran circles around us because they had superior tactics they had like you know higher uh, morale force that you could just do this massive study on how they were so much more effective hunting and combat are not that unrelated they're very similar in a lot of ways when it comes to stuff like this and that like just because you have this new you have a, a cell phone enabled trail camera that's fascinating, man. Like that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a better hunter. If anything, like I remember, like one of the classic examples of this, at least from my life, was uh, there was a guy that I grew up with, or I didn't grow up with him, but he was kind of like an adopted grandfather in a lot of ways. His name's Don Westerman. He um, he would uh, he actually won some pretty big bass tournaments by simply like he had like an old John boat, his old rickety piece of crap boat, 
And he would go out there, and he had a Texas rig worms, massive, like, you know, just 18-inch lake fork worm. And he would just pitch it up <laughs> next to these uh, uh, stumps and just jiggle it. And, like, and it was, like, it, not like a proper presentation of, of, a, uh, of a Texas rig worm at all. But he would win. He was just – because he was really, really, really good at, uh, at bass fishing. And you'd see these guys in these, like, $60,000 bass boats just riding all over the lake, all the latest gear and all this other kind of stuff. And they would just he would just skunk them time and time again. He was like a local legend. And the the reason why the reason being is that he was a better fisherman, and that's why he was really, really effective. And you can't you can't mass produce Don Westermans. And so like you can produce all the technology in the world, you can like enable everybody, everybody could be like super rich and have all the latest and greatest gear and stuff, but you can't buy skill. And that's what like what ultimately is gonna turn around and like increase or decrease the uh, the efficacy of any sort of like wildlife take it hunting, fishing or or whatever. And, uh, you know, so ultimately, like, we need to have, like, a, a good mental model going into a lot of these technological, uh, you know, advances to know that, hey, look, we have the North American model of conservation. Let's stick to it. Let's pay attention to tenant number six and make sure that we, we do everything, you know, per the science, per the actual data that's coming out and not make any kind of, like, sweeping changes or some kind of, like, knee-jerk reactions. Uh, but, no, at the end of the day, all the technology in the world is not going to necessarily help you, like kill more deer, kill more ducks, kill more whatever. You know, like you can do whatever, but like at the end of the day, it's like it's just you and that animal. Like that, all it really boils down to. And technology is <laughs> technology is just another tool in the box. You know, that's you, it. You can have the best tool in the world if you don't know how to use it. It's not really going to do you much good. I mean, it's not a right. replacement for actual woodsmanship. You know, if you look yeah. at these people that are just they were really, really good hunters before this technology comes, and and watch how they use it if they choose to use that technology. They don't stop doing everything they did before. They they find yeah. applications where like, oh, this will be great this way, and they actually kind a lot of times they'll use it like pretty minimally, you know. And the fishing yeah. analogy the same way. Like you can have all the graphs and and they're awesome. I don't think any pro angler up there would be like, no, I'd rather not have this. But it's like, <laughs> yeah, live scope right. is great for this application but when the yeah. bass are in the weeds in three feet of water that sonar does me zero good you know yeah in this instance the technology of a shallow water anchor system like a talon or power poles that that's what i'm going to be using because that locks me in place i can pick apart that cover in front of me using the skills i have developed like yeah. if you the skills and knowledge you have the technology just should just like help that like it's just going to yeah. hone the tip of that particular spear if you're just relying on the technology it's not really going to work unless we get to the point of like you know the matrix where you can just um <laughs> download right. download fred bear protocol you know like all right i'm good right, to go i yeah. know everything let's go let's hit it right right <laughs> until we yeah, get until we I, get there technology you know is is limited in itself it's limited by knowledge yeah. of the user yeah, it's just a, another tool in the toolbox. I think it was uh, it was a Picasso or something that used to keep like some kind of like absurd number of brushes. So he had like all these brushes, and then he was like, oh, for this thing, I use this brush, like really particular. It's it's all about knowing, like you know, like you look at like uh, professional bass anglers, and they're a really good example of that. That you go into their boat, and they're, you lay out all the lures that they keep there, and it's all of this stuff, and it's just like, but you know, like every single one has its place. It has its, you know, it's time, like right at the, the, the right moment, we're going to use a pumpkin seed fluke, you know, but like if the water temperature comes up a little bit or the, the water clarity changes a little bit, well, we're going to buzz baits, you know, or whatever. And, um, and that's, that, that's where like, you know, skill, you know, kind of comes into it for sure. It's not, 
Like there's no one technology that you're going to get that turns around and just make, means like wholesale slaughter of a thing. Well, um, and that, yeah, good. And to bring it back to um, what we're talking about, let's say that watering hole, like you can have your cameras out there, right? And like, hey, there's, you know, all the, the hunters that have just kind of lazily put their cameras over this watering hole and they're like, hey, there was, a, there was an elk here. We need to go. Whereas the guy that has already has a woodsmanship, he already is, has all the knowledge of a, of a successful hunter, he's going to look at that same picture. He's like, yeah, they're there, but because of all these other elements, like I looked at the forecast and where the wind direction is going to be different. There was just snowfall and the whatever pass. And like, he's going to take all that. And be like, well, he was there yesterday, but he will not. You, if you go there tomorrow, you're going to be wasting your time that, that, yep. you know, and he knows that <laughs> because of his skill set level. So the technology yeah. on that instance, that scenario didn't really enter into it. You know, because he's like, yeah. yeah, I see there's a deer there, but I know I, my knowledge tells me he's not going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. Like, I, that, I right. don't care what happened yesterday. Like, that's just, that's, he was there because he probably knows why it was there. He was there because the temperature was this and this and this before the storm and whatever the thing might be. Whereas the person with less experience is just like, there's a deer, let's go get it. And they're going to sit there all day, not see anything. And then say their buddy's like, I don't get it. I mean, that deer was here. I had him here for three days and he just. He yeah. just didn't show up. He doesn't know why he didn't show up. The other guy knows why he didn't show up and knew he wasn't going to show up. It's a big oh, difference. Yeah, absolutely. Big yeah, difference. No, yeah. And so I, I remember one, one of my first kind of like um, like experiences with trail cams, um, whenever they were first starting to kind of get big with the SD cards and stuff, my stepfather had a uh, – he had, he had a deer lease in uh, just north of Magnolia, Arkansas, and he had uh, he had a bunch of like those little, uh, PC type deer feeders that he had spread out all over the place. And uh, he put a camera on one of them. And I remember, like, uh, like preseason, like at, at 10 a.m. every day, there was there was this buck that would show up and he'd eat out of that corn feeder. And so he was like, okay, on that day, like, I'm going to show up open in the morning and I'm going to shoot, shoot that deer. 10 a.m. came that day and 10 a.m. went and that deer was nowhere to be found. <laughs> and and so we were like, we we're like, well, like, why is it all of a sudden he, he deviated? Well, in the next couple of years, I started noticing the timestamps. Every time that modern gun opened and the first gunshot happened, they went nocturnal, almost like clockwork. And they just were like, oh, it's that time of year again. Let's just sleep during the day and we'll eat at night. And uh, it was just it was it was pretty wild. And so, like, if you didn't have that kind of experience to, to you know, to, lever to leverage and didn't know that, well, then you would make that mistake. You'd be like, oh, well, 10 a.m., of course he's going to be here because like, he's here every single day, not knowing that, like, as soon as that deer hears the first gunshot, he's like, oh, yep, I know what, what time of year it is. and I know how to how to handle this. And, uh, you know, it just kind of goes back to the whole, like, you know, skill thing. Like, if you if you don't put yourself out there, if you're not doing the work, if you're not, you know, like really kind of like pounding the ground and, and being a hunter, well, the technology is fascinating, man, but it's not going to get you anywhere. So. Yeah, it can be a fun toy, but how often are you, are you not, you shouldn't lean on it. Yeah. That's going to make you. No. I would argue you're probably going to have far less success. Yeah. If you don't and, get in there, get your hands dirty and actually years. learn actual woodsmanship you know yeah but yeah so yeah that's good of a place to to stop right here thanks uh brandon for your time this was great i had a, a great con conversation we'll have to do yeah it again. absolutely right yeah absolutely i i just uh you know send me a message send me an email i'm happy to talk about whatever I, i'm always down to talk hunting and fishing <laughs> i see I, that I I, 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 and you know enough about bass <laughs> fishing i was i was uh happy about that you had yeah. you know had the right terms yeah this guy's this guy's yeah. gone bass fishing a couple times. <laughs> yeah, I, so uh, I grew up, you know, like Southern Arkansas in the in the nineties. That was like like 
tournament bass fishing was crack cocaine. Like, you know, like if you were on the streets, you were on the water, one of the two, it seemed like. And, uh, and so like, uh, that became, become, or became a, like a, a metaphor for a lot of the way, uh, that I, that I view things. And so like in one way or another, it seems like everything I do goes back to that because that's like, kind of like, like my, uh, uh, like my comfort blanket or, or so. And, um, and there's, a, there's a lot of similarities between, deer and bass if you start looking at like you look at them the way they handle terrain the way they handle weather changes and things like that it's, it's kind of interesting yeah when you look so. when you're going back to like when you tear apart a map when you're getting ready to fish mm-hmm. you know it's not yep. that different you know fishermen view the lake with a bot you know they they look at it as land with no water on it basically yeah right whereas a yeah, recreational yeah, boater just sees a flat surface they have no idea what's going yeah. on underneath the surface but we you know we we look at lake maps just like you'd look at a topographical map for hunting yeah. i mean it's the same way it's yep. like okay here's a here's a rise here's a fall here's a travel corridor here's here's trees here's a mud here's a, a plain here's a you know a field like it's it, it's very very similar you, you're in yeah, a way it, you're hunting absolutely. these fish you know just like you would any yeah. other game animal and I think it's also right. analogous. You can, you can definitely draw comparisons when you're getting into this um, ethics and legality conversation. Because as different fishing technologies have come down the line, almost every new technology has been met with some resistance. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it can be argued today that even with a ton more people on the water, because of sound game management practices and daily yeah. limits and everything else, like the fishing is as good as it's ever been, you know? Yeah. I, I, I would absolutely argue that it's better. Cause I remember like, so like my home waters is uh, Millwood Lake, Arkansas. And I remember as a kid, like seeing a, a six pound bass was a big deal. Like it was just like, it was like, Oh man, yeah, that's a tournament winning fish. By the time I was a teenager, because they had put in like slot limits and, and done a lot of like this, this work to make sure that the, the bass population was healthy. And I watched the guys uh, weigh in 14, 15 pound fish. And I was just like, I didn't even know such a thing would, you know, could ever exist there. And like, you know, now there's like rumors. I've never, I haven't, I don't go to the, the weigh-ins anymore because obviously I'm not there, but uh, you know, the guys that weigh in fish even slightly bigger than that. And so that just goes to show you that like a lot of this, uh, like, you know, like science stuff, like if you, if you follow it correctly, like it can only mean good for everybody involved to include the fishermen or even include the non-fishermen who just appreciates the fish are there. Like they're just, there's going to be more of them and they're going to be of higher quality. If we kind of just stick to the North American model conservation and don't deviate from it, it's worked for the past hundred years. Let's just keep on working it. Brings up another really good point I'll I'll make before we get out of here. But um, Mm -hmm. I think hunting could take a page out of, of fishing when it comes to these regulations, because a lot of times when they'll change, they'll put a slot limit on a lake or change a limit. They do it for an experimental amount of time. Like, okay, we're going to try this for five years and then we're going to reassess it and see what effect it had on whether we're going to keep that permanent or we need to make adjustments to it. I think that would be a very smart thing to start doing in big game hunting or or any terrestrial hunting. So this thing with the cameras, okay, let's, even if we haven't let's done see. the study, let's do the study. We are going to put a moratorium for the next five years on trail cameras. And then during that yep. five years, we're going to have our biologists out there. We're going to have, you know, you can have, take hunter surveys. You can, you know, have people out there watching, just seeing, you know, let's, let's look over the next five years. We're going to look at what impact minus negative or zero that this regulation has. 
And then yeah. at the end of five years, we will assess it, and then we will make changes as needed. That's yeah, pretty hard to yeah. argue, right? Like instead yeah. of just going one and done, smack the gamble, uh, the gavel, we're done. Yeah. Trail cameras are just yeah. done. Well, let's figure out if it's a problem first. Because if it's not a problem, yeah. why are we? Well, what, what do we? Why fix it? Well, I mean, yeah, and you, you think about like time being the greatest commodity. We're wasting our time turning around and, and messing around with this thing that maybe it doesn't have much of an impact at all. And whereas like what does have an impact that we should be allocating our time, uh, you know, allocating our time to. Right. And, and money, yeah. you know, is this yeah, something I mean, that we yeah. want our conservation officers to now have to police this? Is this an overall benefit or would we rather yeah. have them keeping an eye on, you know, wanton waste or poaching or, you know, some other or- thing that actually we know has, a, has yeah, an effect. some other more <laughs> so. egregious thing that we know has a negative impact on wildlife and hunting in general yeah for sure i couldn't agree right, more right, right. all right brandon yeah. let's wrap this up this was yep. awesome um do you do some you do some writing oh yeah I'm, I'm a so i'm a freelance writer so like uh you know my day here is, is they're fairly long i i spend my majority like taking care of clients at home so that way i have a job whenever i go back uh writing uh you know like guest posts blog posts for, for different people and stuff so yeah um I, you can find uh find me on bbsanders.com it's a pretty pretty simple i'm super happy that domain was open whenever oh, nice, <laughs> whenever nice. i got it yeah uh but yeah uh, um i'm uh, open to writing and talking uh to any uh hunter and fisherman or that, that's out there or somebody that needs somebody that you know knows a little bit about uh about the hunting and fishing world so. yeah it's great all right well whenever uh reach out and you have a subject again Dallas, i'm always i'm always down for this kind of conversation this was great oh yeah yeah Appreciate absolutely it. man well, thanks so much Dale. thank you and thank you for your service yep bye, bye.